Well, so we're back now from the sublime to the Bible. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. Uh, but before we read it, I just want to show you a little, a little picture. Uh, if if uh, you can get out of me, look at uh, now. This would be a familiar picture to some people who like things like that. Uh, anyone know what like this? Anyone know what this is? Anyone have a anyone seen this image before? Okay, so this was taken by Hubble in the 90s. It might have even been as it might have even been 1990. This is the Eagle Nebula. In fact, this is just one small bit of the Eagle Nebula, um, which resides within our Milky Way galaxy. This, these bits here, uh, they reckon are, um, well, they call them the, the pillars of creation because they, they say they birth stars, these bits. They might not exist anymore, actually, uh, because of the way the speed that light travels to us. Light travels at 186,000 miles a second, uh, which means that uh, you, could, you can go around the world seven and a half times in a second. Right. Uh, that's, that's the speed of light. These pillars, uh, the, the tallest one is, is six light years. Uh, big, so to put it in, I mean the whole thing is 50 light years by 70 light years, so this is one small bit, so that is about, give or take the odd trillion mile, they reckon, I know you're going to remember all this, aren't you, that, that one pillar is something in the region of 50 trillion miles big, if they've got it right. I mean, because it's just a photograph they took from a telescope. So they're trying to work it out. But that's within our galaxy. So that is like hugely big, isn't it? But it doesn't look it, but that is hugely big. And when you look at the whole nebula, that is just one tiny piece of it. And it is, it is I can't remember, I think it's six and a half thousand light years from us. You can actually look at it through an average telescope and see it. And on a clear day, they reckon you can actually see the, the finger through a, a good telescope. When, when you make a phone call, let's say I phone you from, I'm in Hyderabad in India, and I phone you in Ches Vegas, the, the phone call goes down an optic fiber cable at 186,000 miles a second with thousands of other phone calls, gets blasted up into satellites and whizzes around the place and then ends up in your ear instantaneously and it sounds like I'm standing next to you, doesn't it? When we, I mean, that is amazing technology. So when we make a phone call, we think, wow, how amazing is that? When you pray, you are communicating instantaneously with the creator of the universe for which the Eagle Nebula is a sideshow in space. That's a sideshow. I mean, that's nothing. That's just within our galaxy. And they think there are millions of galaxies. And we can't even fathom the size of that. Within that, there are thousands and thousands of stars, like our sun, within that. 
And that is, that is, that is a sideshow in the universe. When you pray, the God who flung that into space hears you. And they think that that probably doesn't even exist anymore. But we can see it now. But such is the vastness of the distance. We're only just getting the light from it now, but they reckon it's probably not even there now. And it will take a millennia before we know what's actually there because of the way that light travels. And when you speak your mouth in prayer or in your heart, God hears you. Now, if that doesn't say something to us, then I don't know what does. I think that's absolutely phenomenal. Now, I want you to hold that in your head when I, I read these verses uh, from Matthew 6, because I think it underpins what I'm going to try and say over the next 20 minutes or so. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues <coughs> and in the streets so that they may be honoured by men. Truly I say to you, they've had their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I mean, in one sense, often when I read verses like this, I think, well, I don't really need to preach because he kind of says it, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's blindingly obvious. But I do think we could do a little bit of digging into the verse to think, I mean, I like to ask questions like, why did Jesus think this was an important thing to lay out to us in, in, in the sermon? What, why, why did he say that? What, what's behind this? What did he see going on? Now, obviously, there would have been religious leaders at the time who were, uh, being less than subtle about how amazing and godly they were. I mean, giving to the poor and blowing trumpets is <laughs> not subtle. Or, or you know, uh, praying and, and just uh, uh, dazzling everyone with their eloquence and their beautiful use of words. Um, just so you, you, that you know, when I went to Bible college in the mid-90s, you had things like sermon class, where you were graded for your sermons, which were brutal. We saw grown, grown people cry through the analysis. It was so brutal. And also, um, you'd, have, uh, you'd be marked on prayer. 
public prayer and you'd be marked on pastoral care and all of these things. Uh, I, I normally scored well on most things apart from public prayer, which I was marked below average every time. Uh, because I, I, I could never do the whole, like, I wasn't good at ritualistic prayer. I, I didn't understand the language or the way to, to do it. So my my prayers are often like the way I speak to you now, which we'll, we'll, we'll come on to later. Uh, but that, that didn't really wash with Spurgeon's College at the time, so I was, I was marked down. So I don't want you to think that I'm going to be teaching from the perspective of someone who was marked dazzlingly well for public prayer. I never was. Uh, I, that was a one, one thing I failed for three years uh, through Bible school. There you go. But here's, here's a truth, I think, which might underpin this passage. And bearing in mind the wonder of what I showed you at the start, which for me, I just think it's incredible. For me, when I gave my life to Jesus at 18, many things happened to me which changed my life, some of it ongoing. We're all a work in progress, aren't we? often describe myself as like a building site, lots of different things being built, some things are completed, other things have fallen down, other things need rebuilding. But, but one thing did change me instantaneously. I, I had all kinds of ambitions, desires and dreams for my life on earth. Um, I wanted to travel, I wanted to be rich, um, I wanted to have all kinds of experiences, I wanted to own a Porsche, I wanted to get a private pilot's license, I wanted to join the army and fight for a bit as well. There's all sorts of things I wanted to do, but when I gave my life to Jesus, I suddenly realized that this life wasn't it. Actually, a, there is another narrative now over my life, and that is that one day I will die, and then I'll be with Jesus, and I'll live on. And, and there, is, there is something about this life, therefore, that changes. I, I, you suddenly realize that and this is a well-used phrase, but you really realize that when all is said and done, your life is being played out before an audience of one. Your life is not really being played out in front of other people. It's what God sees that really matters. And you soon realize in life that if you're the kind of person who wants to put their head above a parapet and have a go at stuff, that there will always be people there to shoot at you. And they're always going to get flack if you're trying to do anything outrageous for God or just do stuff for God. There'll always be people who have opinions on that. But actually, it's what God thinks that matters. You also begin to realize that you can, if you want to, pull the wall over people's eyes. You, you can look very godly if you want to on a Sunday. But actually, it's what God sees that really matters. You could be the most beautiful prayer warrior in front of people, but in private, be nothing. God sees that. It doesn't matter what other people see, it's what God sees. Your life is being played out before an audience of one. You could create the veneer of generosity, you could create the veneer of faith, but actually it's what God sees that really matters. You can pull the wall over people's eyes, you can pretend to be what you're not, but God sees it all. The one who created the Eagle Nebula as a little sideshow. He sees everything. So the question is, what is Jesus trying to say under this? Uh, and what are the drivers that make us do these crazy things? Now, I'm just going to tell you a little bit of background here for, from Karen and I. Not because I want you to think that we have got this all sorted. And I know that when I sat on the sofa yesterday, sort of 
plotting my talk and I mentioned some stuff I wanted to share when I got, got Karen's permission. Uh, otherwise, life could be very dodgy on the way to Wigan straight after. Uh, I, I, I'm going to Wigan after for work, work do, but it could be a painful journey if I start revealing stuff that Karen didn't want me to reveal, wouldn't it? How awful. But Karen did say, you know, we need to, we do need to tell people that we're not sharing any of these things sometimes to our lives because we think we got it sorted. So we're sharing our journey. And, and we all have an individual journey before the Lord. And my one, my commando training as a Christian began in the mid-90s when we came out of a yuppie lifestyle and, and, um, and committed to follow Jesus with everything that we had. And some of you, I've said some of this before, but I'll never forget coming home from work and finding Karen all teary in the bedroom when she'd seen the verses in Matthew saying, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And I went, yeah, they're great voices, verses. So why are you crying? She went, oh, they've really spoken to her. I went, yeah, they're lovely verses, aren't they? Thinking, yeah, but that's for everyone else, not us. And then Karen said, I think we've got to give up our home. I went, no, <laughs> that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that. You know, when Jesus said, give everything to the poor, he didn't actually mean it. What he said is you've got to have the heart for it. You know, you've got to be prepared to. Because like, no, I think we really got to do this. And it led us down a journey in the mid-90s, which actually most people around us didn't actually know the extent of what was going on in our own lives. We only started to really speak about these things 18 years or so later. Even most people around us immediately didn't know the extent of what was going on. We were in a Baptist church, so things in a Baptist church are quite public because you vote on a lot of stuff, as some of you will know from previous congregational church experience. We didn't make salaries public, but we knew salary budgets and stuff. I left my job, I became a student pastor, and for most of that time uh, I was unpaid, but most people wouldn't have known that because we determined not to talk about it, because our lives, our lives were played out before an audience of one. We gave up our home, uh, we sold our, actually I gave my car to someone if I'm honest. I think that year we gave a number of cars away to people, because every time I gave a car away, we kept getting another one back. So we'd like give that one away. It was like, do me a favor, I'm trying to give it away, it keeps coming back. But I didn't give to get it back. I mean, the best car I ever got given, I crashed. I got given a car and I crashed it. I got given this souped up, Honda Civic, and I crashed it into the back of a transit that cut me up. But even then, we got this outrageously big payout, and we felt the Lord say to that, you've got to give the money away. I'm like, you're choking me. So we just kept like giving stuff. We like, even gave a coat away. Some miraculous stories behind some of this, which I'll share another time. Even walked past one bloke once wearing my watch, and I felt the Lord say, ask him the time. I'm like, but I don't need to, I've got a watch. And then realized that actually the Lord was telling me to give my watch to this bloke who didn't have a watch, you know. And we went through this journey of emptying ourselves. But I'll, and, and if we ever talk on giving, I'll tell you what the amazing stuff that was around that. There's a reason I'm telling you. No one knew what we were going through. I had some savings in the bank. I paid myself through the savings until we actually ran out of money. And I can remember giving my last thousand pounds away to someone who was desperately poor uh, because I felt the Lord tell us to do it. That was my training. But no one knew at the time. We felt it was right not to tell anyone the extent of what we were doing because it was our journey before the Lord. The other thing was it actually didn't occur to us to tell anyone because actually we were just desperate to tell people about Jesus and this was the only seemingly way we could do it. 
was to leave our yuppie pad, move on to an estate and get on with it. We just wanted to do it. I can remember, I can remember crying with frustration in an elders meeting because I wanted to plant a church on a council estate and, the, and, the, and a couple of the elders were up for it and a couple of the others didn't. And I, I remember crying with frustration, just saying, well, I'm going to go and do it anyway. I've got to go and do it. I've got to do it. So I just thought, well, I'll just leave this church. I'm just going to pay, I would just fund myself to go and plant this church. So desperate was I to tell people about Jesus. It didn't occur to us to tell anyone about it. And so it was only years later that we started to speak of these things. And it seemed right. But to be honest, you could have looked at photos of us, which we still have, and you would actually tell that we didn't have any money because we looked like charity shop models. Um, but you can actually tell by looking back at some. Karen and I were looking back every now and again, and we thought, actually, we look really, really bad there. Um, but our kids were uh, clothed through um, uh, uh, people dropping stuff off, and we had a, a, a pram for the 19. 60s and 70s, which now be retro cool, uh, but wasn't then. Um, we, we, we were on the edge, actually. But we never spoke about these things until many years later. Because I think there's two things that you can do. I mean, and to say this, there were many wealthy people around us at that time, and we could have milked it. But we chose not to. Because I think there's two things you can do that cut to the heart of this verse. You can parade your giving or you can parade your spiritual poverty and amazingness. And both things point to something. They point to an insecurity. That's you're more worried about what people think than what God thinks. And I've got to tell you, when we were going through that time, there were some times when I really did want to shout about it a bit. But I tell you what stopped me, I was planting church, a church and I was going to Bible college with people who were planting churches in some of the worst estates in London or around the country by day and driving minicabs at night to feed their kids. And I didn't even realise until years later. That I was surrounded by that atmosphere. It was a period of time when there was just a, people's heart and desire to serve the Lord no matter what it took, which does keep you humble. But you can parade your giving or you can parade your spiritual amazingness. And the God who created the Eagle Nebula wants neither of those things. What he wants is your love. He wants your trust. He wants your faithfulness with what he's given you. He wants your obedience. He wants a relationship with you. He's your father in heaven. And he wants you to build your treasure in heaven. As you'll see in Matthew 6:19, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And I think for me, uh, that is a constant and ongoing challenge. So a couple of notes here on the giving bit. Note it says when you give and not if you give. It's telling us how to give and the fact is that we should be doing it. And I think God wants us to give sacrificially. But I think it needs to be done in secret. Don't, you don't need to parade what you do. Be concerned about what God sees that you're doing. Be concerned that you're giving from your heart as well and not your insecurity. 
Who cares what people know if God knows? Who cares? And when you get a criticism or a complaint about something and you rampantly want to justify yourself, who cares about what people think? Worry about what God thinks. Sometimes things just can't be reasoned with. Don't worry about it. Play your life out before an audience of one. He wants sacrifice from the heart. And so then in the passage, we talk a bit about giving and then it moves on to prayer, which led me down some interesting thoughts. Uh, here, prayer is private. Uh, you, you, you only just read it. Uh, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners so they may be seen by men. They've had their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is in secret. So here, Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray in private before God. Which leads me to a question. Where does that leave prayer meetings? And where does that leave prayer in church? My first experiences of prayer in church were devastating. I think this is probably why I always got marked average for public prayer. Because in the first church I went to, there was a man called Bill, who was an ex-miner who learned to read by, by reading the Bible. And, and he was a powerful, big man of prayer. Every other word was thee. Every other word was thou. And he could pray the socks off any man. If you had a prayer off between him and someone like Billy Graham, Bill would win. He would wipe the floor with him. He was a prayer warrior. And when he prayed, I just felt like the tentacles of intimidation all over me. And I remember the first time I thought, we were in a prayer meeting and Bill had prayed. And I thought, I'm going to pray too. And so I prayed for my mate, Stuart Holgate. I can remember, so I remember this moment. And I went, Heavenly Father, <laughs> pray for Stuart Holgate that he, he gets to know you. Amen. And then Bill went, good to hear your voice, lad. And I went, <laughs> so, so intimidating. And he was Welsh as well. I can't do the Welsh accent. It will sound weird. Uh, but it was, it was, it was, totally intimidating so uh what's going on here about prayer and public prayer and prayer meetings i want to cover that off first 1 corinthians 14 26 gives us a pattern of sunday worship or whenever you come together and worship uh, which you might just want to dive to quickly and uh, you might be struck by what's in there and uh, uh potentially what's not in there uh, so 1 Corinthians 14 and um, verse 26. Uh, uh, what is the outcome then, uh, brothers? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. That's it. Now, just because it doesn't mention prayer doesn't mean that we don't pray when we get together but it's interesting currently what we're not doing isn't it when we come together in our public meetings according to this there should be spontaneity according to the bible there should be a flow where we have we're being led from the front and suddenly neville starts starts kicking off on a you know a good king wenceslas or something you know, something just rises up within Neville and he leads us off in a beautiful hymn. So it's the only one I can think of. 
And uh, it's a bit random, I know. Maybe there's some prophetic verse in it. And then, you know, and, and, and then Damo, he gets a picture from the Lord. And someone says, oh, I had that picture too. And then someone speaks in the tongue, there's an interpretation. And then, and then the worship kicks off again and we get back into this flow. And, and then and, and this, sponsor, this beautiful sense of the Spirit moving around us begins to happen. And of course, within that, people will pray for things that they're stirred with. And, and the praise will rise in the body of the people and it'll be a beautiful thing. And people who are not Christians will hear this and go, there must be a God in heaven who made the Eagle Nebula and get saved every week. Because that's what's in the Bible. That, that's actually a, a, a beautiful picture of, of what's happening there. There was a lack of order breaking out, so people were jabbering over the top of each other. But just a note on public worship, you might say uh, probably we don't pray enough from the front. Maybe we should do a bit more of that, actually engage with the world and pray for needs around our congregation. But actually, if we were to be truly biblical about this, there'd be much more of a flow and a spontaneity and stuff arising. I don't know if that scares you. I find it, the idea really exciting. But it's interesting to see what's in public worship and not what's not there. It seems to me the major emphasis on prayer, according to Jesus, was private. However, there were prayer meetings, and, and you will see them in the Bible. So uh, in Matthew 18, 19, when two or three gather... There I am in the midst of them. That's a prayer meeting because it's more than one person. The reason, uh, one reason you might say we had prayer meetings is to engage heaven and to get heaven's agreement on something. Uh, in Acts 2, they were together in the upper room and they were praying together and they received power. So another reason for a prayer meeting often is the, uh, is the reception of power from God. Um, it could be for rescue and deliverance. So in Acts 12, verse 5 onwards, Peter's in prison, uh, all persecution was breaking out, people were losing their heads, and Peter's now in prison, and it said that all the believers gathered together, and they prayed fervently for him, and then an angel, I mean, there were four squads of soldiers guarding him, and then an angel appears and, and rescues, it's like a special forces angel raid, rescues Peter, and Peter turns up at the door, while they're still in a prayer meeting, goes, Huzzah! <laughs> what? what? No, he's not really at the door. He goes, ah, it's me. Go away. It's not it's a pretender. No, it's me. Why are they still praying? So clearly, prayer meetings are in the face of persecution or desperate situations. You also saw prayer meetings for commissioning people in Acts 21. Uh, we pray a lot in churches for the sick. But actually, I couldn't really find prayer meetings as such for the sick. But I did see elders going to visit the sick and anointing with oil. And so, you know, maybe corporate prayer where we have a chance for the people who are ill to be anointed with oil by the elders or visiting people in their homes certainly is in there. Uh, I just think it's interesting when you, when you put the magnifying glass of the Bible on, on practice because you've got... You've got Biblical Christianity, and then you've got churchianity. And the two things don't often match. Now, it's not to say that our practices are wrong because you develop traditions, but it's good every now and again to put a lens on it, isn't it? And think, well, what are we doing? What are we not doing? Personally, I think we do need to pray more in church, but I wouldn't want that to get to a point where it becomes like a religious weird tradition thing, where we all start switching off and wondering if our lasagna is burning rather than listening to the prayer. Do you ever do that? Do you ever do that? 
do you not about Lasagna per se, not like it's not a Lasagna reaction, but do you ever do you ever find yourself in prayer meetings and then you realise that for five minutes you've been thinking about really weird other stuff like the dog or did I leave the oven on? Oh, I left me tongs on before you be one from Karen. Oh, I left me hair tongs on. Or, you know, that, that, I didn't want to put that on you, but I'm just imagining. Been with you a long time. Um, you know, that, that kind of... Do you ever find your mind wanders? I wonder how little our mind would wander if we had a biblical pattern of prayer meetings where this flow of the Spirit and stuff was happening. I bet your mind wouldn't wander them to be like, there's angels appearing and weird stuff and amazing things are happening, which would probably keep you quite on the edge of your seat but what it does seem is that prayer was focused engaged and purposeful whereas in my experience so many prayer meetings are actually quite deadly anyway we'll leave that one hanging there with a focus here well you know i mean they used to call it the vidal sassoon position didn't they you say let's pray and everyone gets their head down like they're gonna have their hair washed and then and then we do sort of weird prayers um, and then someone like Bill's there, and it's really scary. But it just seems that in the Bible it's a little bit different. I also want to make a plea here for, as we go into the pitfalls of prayer, um, a plea for people who aren't eloquent on a serious note. Not everyone has the ability to speak f- like into their mind to mouth is fast. You can be bright, but your mind to mouth isn't necessarily fast. We're not all blabbermouths. And, and, and so prayer meetings be really intimidating for people who aren't fast to speak or don't have loads of things to say. So we need to be mindful of that, I think, as well, uh, which I think is one of the reasons why Jesus puts this emphasis here. I also do think that the gift of tongues is really good for people who aren't able to speak loads in the English language like because they're just not eloquent people. Like I know loads of my mates, they're, they're like they're monosyllabic. You all right? <coughs> hey, uh, as you walk with the Lord, yeah, it's all right. you know, it's about see the football, yeah, great. Mm. End of conversation. But the gift of tongues I've often seen over here is releases people. Just pray and pray and pray. It's a beautiful thing. So uh, I'd love to see a more biblical pattern of of prayer. So uh, for me. Prayer meetings should come out of an overflow of what's happening in your private prayer life. If your private prayer life is following what it says in Matthew 6, then maybe our meetings publicly would flow more. Maybe sometimes our public meetings don't flow the way they could because actually in private our prayer life maybe might not be what it could be. And I'm not saying that in a condemnatory way. I just think that the overflow of your heart spills out into public meetings, doesn't it? Uh, I, 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 well, I would suspect if you have a lifestyle of prayer in private, it will spill out in public. I would think if you've got a lifestyle of worship, like you, you, you're driving along in a car listening to a bit of the old Kendrick, it will probably spill out in public, in your public meetings. So can I just go through, I'll nearly be done here, a few prayer pitfalls for corporate prayer just so that we get better at praying uh, publicly before we then look at praying privately for 30 seconds. Uh, These are my common observations of pitfalls for corporate prayer that put people off prayer meetings and praying. Uh, 
Bearing in mind that Jesus here is talking about don't parade your righteousness, which is the beginning verse. So I'm really angling on that one at the moment. Telling God what he already knows, I think is one. God, you said in Habakkuk 2, that the rays of glory shone for your hands. And you said in, in Matthew 5, blah, blah, blah. And then in Psalm 139, we did this. And in Genesis 2, and Leviticus, there's some hideous things about skin diseases, what you said in verse 14. You know, and it's like, I don't need to know what you know about the Bible. You don't need to parade that to me. And I think the Lord is already aware. You know, you don't, don't need to preach at me through your prayers, which is another pitfall. Telling God what he knows and then preaching through your prayers. Because, because God, you really don't like it when people do this. And, you, and, and when, you, when you said in Matthew 5, 18, that when, you know, if there's, a, if there's a dispute, or Matthew 18, there's a dispute, what you mean is that George should really go and speak to John. And that would be a really good thing. Because if we're not doing that, there's division in the body. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Preaching through your prayers and making pastoral points through your prayers is another one. Uh, gossiping through your prayers. I know that gossip can be a need for prayer. It's not gossip, is it? It's a need for prayer. But you do see people doing that as well. I haven't observed much of that here, but I do think it's things that can go on. Making points through your prayers to people around you about things you're not happy with is another one that I've observed through the years. Um, you know, uh, I'm not going to give any examples. <laughs> it's far too dangerous, um, uh, particularly as it's podcasting. But I have seen that happen uh, a number of times uh, through the years about the life and, and worship of the church. Um, and, and everyone can be in the firing line on that one. Uh, demonstrating your theological prowess by using theological terms, um, uh, talking about uh, soteriology or <laughs> um, common grace and just chucking out the odd, the odd thing just to show everyone that you have read a Spurgeon commentary. Um, definitely not helpful. And there's another thing which I do which really annoys me about me and I tried for years to deprogram myself in this but why do we always use the word just? Have you noticed that? We're just going to pray. We're not just praying to the God who made the Eagle Nebula. <laughs> I mean, just. And then when we start praying, we just ask. And we just say this. And we just mention, I was doing it earlier. I thought there's no way I'm going to say just today. I said it about five times. I don't, what's happened to me? It's like for to say, don't think about pink elephants. You think about them, don't you? We're now thinking about pink elephants. That's what you're all doing, all over the place. Don't think about them. So if you say don't use the word just, you're going to be justinging all over the place now. But it's weird. It's like prayer language. Why can't we talk to God with reverence, but the way I might talk to, 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 to Mick or Teresa? Or, but in, like, what I'm saying is be normal, but reverential. So I just, I don't, <laughs> it would be so wrong to say this, but, how annoying must it be sometimes for the spirit to keep hearing everyone justing all the time <laughs> and moaning or gossiping and being theologically amazing when actually what God wants is relationship. I can, I can tell very often where someone's at with the Lord, whether they're talking about God as like a, a, an object that they're talking at or you're communing with. 
try and give you an example. A common prayer might be something like, God, we just ask that you would help us this week and you'd be here. And we'd, we'd just um, saying to you, you know, would you, would you move by the power of your spirit? Because we just want to see people becoming Christians. And, um, you know, God, you say in your word that you do such and such a thing. So we just ask that you would do that thing that you said in Matthew, blah, blah, blah. And um, blah, 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 blah. In Jesus' name, amen. Or do we say something like, Father, I've been honest with you. It's been a bit of an F week. And I'm tired. It's so good to be here today with my family, with my brothers and sisters. I, I love you. And, and I want other people to love you. Be, be, be with us, Father. Be, be with us now. Pour out your spirit now. I need to know you're here. And I've got a mate coming today. And I really want them to know that you're here. So, so please, do a work in my heart. Do a work in their heart. And when I'm driving home, I want to know that you're with me. It's from my heart. That's my heart. I'm not functioning. I'm not speaking to God like he's an object. And that, that comes because I spend hours on my motorbike during the week commuting. And I pray for my heart. And when I'm in my car and I'm stuck in traffic, oh, I'm praying for my heart. And, and lots of people who know me think I haven't got a very prayerful life because I act like a Jack the Lad. Well, I act like a Jack the Lad because I'm concerned to not put people off my faith. I want to be normal. Well, who knows an extraordinary God who made Eagle Nebula. And I don't feel I need to parade my righteousness. It should be an overflow. And actually, when I just pray, that's my genuine prayer. That's how I feel. Apart from that, I've got a mate here, but I wish I did. So, do you see the difference? Do you, can you hear the difference? Because that will come from an overflow of your prayer life. But what you do in secret will spill out. Keep it simple. Keep it humble. Keep it from your heart. Pray often on your own. Pray in the spirit as much as you can. Give generously. Don't let people know what you're doing. When there's a need to give, give more. Set yourself a figure, add 20% on. The Lord won't let you down. I can I'll honestly say this to close out with. Um, <laughs> we haven't got many nice things in our house. But... <laughs> uh, I've, I live in this amazing house, and I still can't work out how I got it. I don't actually own all of it, but I can't work it out because I spent years trying to give it all away. You know, I just had to give up a car, and I, I got one back from where I worked. I wasn't even expecting it. And, and, and I've just written a book on prayer, which is coming out in June, which I'll try and get some very cheap copies. And it's stories of answered prayer through 20 years of ministry. And I look back and I think, hey, how have we seen these things? I've never spoken about a load of them, but I just felt challenged to put it down in a book. So I have. It's because what you do in secret, the Lord will honour. Seek to build your treasure in heaven, and the Lord will pour out heaven upon you. Keep it simple. Keep it beautiful.
Keep your walk humble before the Lord. Pray in the Spirit. Pray often on your own. Think about your own heart and your own security before the Lord, and the Lord will bless you abundantly. And you may go through periods of time that just seem like hell on earth, but the Lord will bless you richly in the end. And remember, as I said at the beginning, that this life is not it. It's very temporary. And one day we will go home, as I often say, and we'll all go home together, and one day we'll meet in heaven, or on the new earth, more theologically correctly, we'll meet and we'll go, wow, what an amazing ride that was. All the ups and downs, the heartache, the tears, the sadness, the joy, what an amazing ride that was, and now here we are. And, and I pray to God, and I know you do too, that we are surrounded by a whole bunch of our mates and family members who came through too, because we are faithful in private. And what we did in private, God blessed publicly and, and honoured us. We built our treasure in heaven.